Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have uh, Johan Premfors here with me from Stockholm. Welcome to my podcast, Johan. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. And it's really great that our paths have crossed, actually, thanks to our friend Jan Broman. Johan Bremfors is an unconventional entrepreneur with a global experience that is hard to match. He has moved from investment banking to post-conflict reconstruction to building a global coaching school. And today his focus is on mental health and his and his wife's passion project, Gozam, a technological platform that will forever change how we consume life-changing content and also how you grow with the people you care most about. So, Yuan, when I looked into you know your your profile, for example, on LinkedIn, it says that you are you're a disillusioned banker moving from there to the fourth world entrepreneur and developer, moving from there to becoming a faculty member uh, at a coaching uh, training institute in California, and so on. And you've built many interesting uh, companies along the way, you know, everything from furniture manufacturing to advanced telecom and geographically you've moved around quite a bit as well from, from Freetown and Sierra Leone to Kabul and, uh, and met a lot of um, inspiring and meaningful people. So why this beautiful experiment of yours and transitioning and moving around so much uh, in many ways? What is the driver behind that? Well, I think it probably started when I was very young, growing up in Sweden, feeling that I never belonged. Like I couldn't fit in. Uh, I was always too loud. I was always too different. And I felt that I had to go elsewhere to to see if there was, um, if I could find my tribe somewhere else. And which I did. And at, at 13, I moved to Pakistan to live with my aunt and uncle. They worked for the United Nations. Uh, from there, I moved back to Sweden for a while. And then I moved to Kenya and then Turkey and then the journey just continued and I just felt that I always wanted to see the, the world was so big and it had so much information. So I just needed to go out there and tap into that. And uh, the most important thing for me was always that wherever I went, I, I met these amazing people mm-hmm. and locals. It could be a poor beggar on the street or it could be a world-renowned businesswoman or whatever. Uh, I just fed on that and I continued to do that. So I think that's what kind of has had me go to all these different places. Amazing. And now you're working full on with uh, Gozam, this beautiful a new tech platform. So what is it for? And, and actually, who is it for? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a very uh, wide product. It's really for anybody who's searching for anything. We realized after being in the coaching industry for close to two decades, that um, people are always searching and people are not finding the right answers. There's a lot of information out there more than ever before and it's accessible through the internet. You can Google anything, you can go on beautiful retreats, yet people are unhappy. People are not doing well. Mental health is on the decline. Uh, Young children are taking medication uh, for depression, especially in the United States, both in France and in Sweden. So we just wanted to make uh, great information available to as many people as possible at no cost. Um, we think that the information that we get when I worked at Merrill Lynch, we had this incredible training programs or in the coaching world, we had this amazing curricula that people are able to develop as human beings. Now, if you can't afford to attend 
these courses, if you don't work for great companies, how do you get access to this information? And you can't Google. You, how do you know what's good and what's bad? So we wanted to create Gozam as a filter, as a place, as a source for people to come and find really good information. Neutral, yet uh, informative, credible, based on science, based on also some edgy stuff, but contextualized so that people feel safe that, hey, I can go to Gozam and explore, find out, hey, my, my kid is depressed or my son is being bullied in school or I'm not feeling great about my relationship. Like, where do you go to get that information if you're not going to a psychologist or a therapist or a knowledgeable friend? Access is the key for us. And that is lacking in the world today. How do you know where to find that content? I mean, what kind of, let's call it, filter do you apply? Yeah, it's a, again, we're, we create something called a content council. And we're co-creating that. So we have professors, everything from professor of economics all the way to uh, thought leaders in the coaching industry, but also professors of global health. Uh, people that have worked out in places like Afghanistan or in you know, Burundi. So we're trying to create a common denominator, which is based on science, it, but it's also based on impact. How can we create impact with this material uh, in a way that people will take it on? So it has to be entertaining at the same time. So we are uh, constantly experimenting uh, with this content, but we have some secrets up our sleeves. We have a great chief editor uh, joining from one of the world's most famous publications, things that we can't quite reveal quite yet. But uh, obviously, if we don't maintain the quality of the content, then uh, people will start to lose trust in us. So that is something we spend a lot of time on and attention. <laughs> so how many years now have you been working on this project? Well, technically, we started uh, seven, uh, eight, 19 months ago with the coding of the platform. Mm. But this project has been kind of growing since, I would say, 2009, mm. when my wife started a parenting program. Mm. She wanted to just give parents better information, coaching skills that they can use in, in families, because we realized that uh, if parents aren't creating a safe environment for their children, uh, those kids grow up to be exactly like their parents uh, or, you know, they not they don't feel safe to explore who they really are. So that's kind of where we started. So um, in 2009, we started running these programs all over the world for parents. And it was extremely successful in 22 countries and thousands of parents trained. And then in Los Angeles, about five years ago, I decided to stop everything I was doing to just literally focus on developing the concept of Gazan. And that end up with us moving back to Stockholm to start the project here. And why Stockholm? Uh, you haven't I, lived here before. No, I actually thought I would never come back to Sweden. Uh, I loved California. I loved LA and San Francisco. And we invested in a bunch of different companies and had a great time. Uh, but we got a little bit fed up, to be honest, with politics. For a while, we lived in this beautiful place in Hollywood. And I would go out on the street and I would see homeless people. I saw more dead people on the streets of Los Angeles than I did during all my travels to Afghanistan. And I realized that something is seriously wrong, just not in Los Angeles, but in the world. And uh, I thought that I wanted to live in a place which was a little bit fairer for people where, uh, yeah, the man on the street can get care and schooling is free. So I sound, I'm going to sound like a socialist communist here, but uh, I, I, the foundation of the Scandinavian society for me is more sound uh, than the extreme performance oriented uh, United States. So I felt that Gozam needed to have a base in a place which had a little bit more equality built into it. A lot of my friends are going to have me up for this. They're going to give me a hard time for what I've just said. 
<laughs> That's what friends do, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So you're also saying that through the, the platform, you get closer to the people you care about. Yeah. How? We've created something called a relation verse, which is a, uh, they, they're, it's like a universe, but it contains the people that you care about the most. So you basically drag in the people, your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, your closest friends, you drag them into this visual universe. Uh, and through that universe, you can interact with them. You can share, you can message them, uh, you can do collaborative quizzes. Uh, you, we have built-in telemetry, so you can see how much time you spend when you can see the type of, or the quality of that relationship. So the idea is that you can start to pay attention to the individual relationships and start to build them and start to realize, oh, there's a weakness over here. Or I thought we could talk about this, but we can't. So it starts with everything from how you communicate with somebody to solving real deep issues, problems. Perhaps even, you know, it can go as far as abuse. Um, is somebody being gaslit to relationship? How do you know? Like, you know, and, and how do you start the conversation if you're a husband and wife and one of the people are gaslighting the other? How, they may not even know what it is. The concept of gaslighting doesn't ex exist in the Swedish language, by the way. So, so we want to bring these conversations into people's lives. And that's what you do with the relation verse. And and you see this platform as global in the sense that anybody can join where, from wherever in, in the world. Absolutely. And uh, it's an iOS platform right now. It's on the App Store, uh, invite only still, uh, but it's going to be on Android. And the main platform is always going to be free. So this information, and this is not some sort of a marketing trick that we do to lure you in, to create a sales funnel. Um, we do want to convert the people that want to get into more niched content and more niched experiences, and there, there will be a, a paid version. But you can, as a normal user, uh, use Gozam for life for free and have access to information from professors, from thought leaders, from experts in different fields. And that's the idea. We need to, if you look at Facebook today, Facebook is, they call it free. It's not free. They sell data. They sell advertising. You're being bombarded with stuff. And people are getting tired of that. Facebook and Google and all these big players realize that this model is, you know, it's there. It's extremely profitable. It's where they make their money. But I think, we believe that the market really, and, and people deserve a product that's more focused on them. It puts them at the center. We don't need to make as much money as Google. We don't need to make as much money as Facebook. We can keep our margins much, much, much smaller. Uh, we're not interested in just creating a unicorn. We just don't want to create a, this technical wonder and raise you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. We'll probably end up doing that. But we are focused on something completely different. And it may sound naive, but it's actually working. And so you know, people who are familiar with KPIs, so to say, what KPIs will you be looking for? Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, we have KPIs. We have like, we need a, a million free users. We need a million people using the platform. That's the next, that's the next step. We also have an enterprise product because Gozam is not only about the, the general individual user. Uh, it's also about creating change within organizations. So we have the enterprise version, which is really what our business model is about, is offering a solution that allows companies to address really serious stuff. I'm talking about how do you talk about racism instead of just doing some sort of diversity workshop like everybody's doing? How do you create the conversation that actually grabs a hold of people's imagination and realize, oh, I'm a part of this. I can actually be a part of creating this change. Or even if they don't want to create the change, it's like, hey, 
uh, I have this information now, and based on this new information insights, I have no choice but to change how I think about it. And, and the Gozam platform uh, allows companies to decide on, hey, I'm grabbing a hold of the Me Too movement. I'm grabbing the hold of bullying uh, in the workplace or mental health and the ability to distribute content and also to create continuity through using surveys and quizzes, but short ones. People are so tired of these long surveys. Mm -hmm. So super short and sweet, always. Mm -hmm. Really putting the user at focus from the very beginning. I think in, in, in uh, everywhere in the world, we are getting so used to challenges, issues, problems, things to solve, resolve. It's always like the focus is on, on what's not working and then we're trying to fix it kind yeah. of thing. And I mean, and it's good that there's a lot of people out there trying to fix things, of course. But will you, do you think within this platform, especially I'm thinking about businesses as an instrument for change then, will you be able to also somehow help them to raise the human skills level within the company somehow and help them transport themselves to a place that is not problem solution geared, but rather like using their maximum creativity yeah. and imagination to imagine what's possible and yes. talk about that. And we, we're really trying to move away from the problem solution because we're often barking up the wrong tree. We see the problem, we're trying to fix it, but we're only fixing something on the superficial level. It may work in the moment, but it doesn't create the lasting change. In order to go there, we need to look deeper. We need to equip people with better uh, better skills. Uh, we need to raise the skill level. Our vision statement within the company is upskilling humanity. It's giving people skills, allowing people to find tools that would really help them change things. And to do that, we need to go to the root cause. Often it, it's about you know, how were you brought up? We have introjects. We, are, we grow up in, with circumstances where the family rules and culture, and that really shapes how we behave later in life. So we're really drawing the attention to how people like really help them look at their lives and what are the things that shape them and what do they need to adjust uh, in order to create, uh, you know, the change that they want to see. And it's not to just become happier or become wealthier or uh, become more successful. Those are the old paradigms that we need to move away from. We need to kind of go to where are you, who are you now? Uh, and you're here now. It's like, if we always have the goalposts out there, right? when I have achieved this, when I have a good job, when I have a good, you know, a nice boyfriend or girlfriend, then I'll be happy. Like, that's madness. We're here now. It's only now. And we just want to bring attention to the now. Um, and, and we do that through, you know, different tools and by making really complex information entertaining. And, and by not being in the now, but like always aiming for the next thing, we also give our power away. Yes. We all depend on that, right? That thing to happen or that person to fill out some kind this of... This is innate desire we have to perform or to achieve stuff all the time. And, and that takes the focus off, you know, what really matters. But you, if, um, if I would ask you, you know, what is your, your passion, that, that thing that comes from, uh, you know, the Latin word patire, like, what are you willing to even suffer for if needed? What is that important to you? What's the most important to me is that human connection. Uh, is when I'm with somebody, I really want that person to not just feel good, just to be good, to, to, to see something within themselves. And that's actually what drives me. That's why, uh, actually, I think in the, I, sometimes I think I'm completely mad 
doing this project and setting these incredible goals. We talk about kind of not setting like crazy goals and being performance oriented. But what drives me forward is always that the human being. I don't care if the person is a beggar on the street or if the person is a multi-billionaire and owns a basketball team. I really don't care. When I'm with the person in the moment, I'm I'm so I'm willing to go all the way to make them see themselves uh, in that moment. And that keeps me going because I meet people every day. So that feeds me. And I, you know, I, I can't stop that. I will never stop that. It gives me enormous satisfaction just to be around people. Mm-hmm. And what decides who you meet and who you don't meet? How do you kind of, you know, because we all organize our lives in different ways, which means that we might not meet certain people for whatever reasons. I'm thinking about that as well. I've had to become very selective. I've chosen to not have a lot of negative people around. I've chosen to belong to certain networks. And it's kind of hard. That's a hard thing to do for somebody. I'm a total extrovert. I want everybody in my life. But I have been forced to kind of start to be very selective and say no to a lot of things. I have people ask for a lot of favors and people know who are in business or a lot of people want to meet you for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And the reason is never to uh, support us or me. It's always, hey, uh, I need something, and which is great. I mean, I'm that person. I ask for favors. I ask people for things all the time. But I also um, have learned to say no mm-hmm. a lot more. And um, in terms of you know moments in our lives that could be called transformational, I guess you've had uh, several, but would you share a few? Yeah, I had, uh, as, a, as a teenager, I had uh, facial paralysis when I was 17. My entire life was based on, you know, being a relatively okay looking guy and having friends and, you know, flirting with girls. And when that paralysis happened, my entire, every single ounce of my confidence, self-confidence disappeared. It was gone. I had, uh, my face was drooping down on one side. Uh, I had to stop doing sports. I became a recluse. So from being, you know, cool guy, uh, I became a, a nobody in my own mind. So at that point, I was extremely down and I decided to actually, the reason I moved to, to Kenya was to attend a school uh, in Kenya. It was a Swedish boarding school. I just wanted to escape. So that was a very defining moment for me in a negative sense. And why did that happen? Uh, it's something called Bell's palsy. It's a relatively common thing, but what's not common, I actually ended up having it twice and that's when was unheard of. So that was a big defining moment for me. And it defined how I thought about myself and how I looked uh, for a very long time. It took me a long time to get over that. Um, I've had another very defining moment, which is where I decided to look at life differently as well. It's the first time I went to Afghanistan. We had a rather eventful landing, a spiral descent into Kabul. I had no idea. I was a civilian going in a United Nations plane and spiral descent because the Taliban had been Uh, firing rockets at planes. So we had this spiral descent and I thought we were dying. Within two days of arriving there as well, we had a couple of moments where I was threatened by a gun. I had a gun in my face by a young boy in Kabul. And then um, that kind of made me rethink. I had a daughter, she was six at the time. And uh, that's also when I started writing every little thing I've ever done in my life, the good stuff, the bad stuff. I wrote a memoir and I wrote down everything because I thought I wasn't going to get out of Kabul. The first time I was there, I was in 2002. Wow. And now with everything that is going on? Yeah, there are a few things going on, to say the least. When you think about the world of business, uh, all the companies out there, I believe that they're a fantastic instrument for, for great change. 
what long-term solutions for business do you believe in? I mean, is there some kind of, let's say, common denominator somehow? Yeah, I think the common denominators are, I mean, the world is amazing now. The likes of Elon Musk out there creating enormous technical uh, change and innovation. You have friends of mine like Peter Carlson at North or Paolo Ceruti, the guys at Northvolt creating uh, battery solutions. Yet, they will create a technical, they create a product. What I think we can do to create the real change is to create the human change within organizations. I have uh, friends who have tens of thousands of employees in organizations, even hundreds of thousands. If we all chose to start to create that cultural change, the knowledge change, the upskilling of humanity, um, we would change the world. We spend the majority of our time at work, not even with our family. Five days a week, most people go to work from eight to five or nine to six. That is the time they, uh, as business leaders, we have the opportunity to create the safe space for people to learn, to grow, of course, to perform their duties. Otherwise, the companies can't exist. But we have an opportunity to, to not to enforce change, but to encourage learning. And when I talk about learning, it's like the, the learning values, learning how to communicate, learn how to pick up cues, learn how to listen, but also learn how to be heard. Like, how do you make sure when people misunderstand me, people don't get what I'm saying? Well, okay, so learn how to communicate, learn how to get somebody's attention, learn how to create the space and the timing to say what you need to say. These are the things that make a difference. Not some sort of a, hey, learn, you know, go and do a public speaking course and or convince people to listen to you. No, I don't believe in those things. I believe in real skills, transferable skills. Like, like let's become better human beings. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, to grow human skills uh, in companies when they are there and they can also learn from each other, I think it's extremely powerful. Yeah. That's part of that safe space. Yeah. If we have the safe space, then you and I can learn from each other, even if we're going through a challenge of sorts. So that, that creating that safe space is hugely important. So if I would ask you, like, what does the future look like? The one that you would like to you know, experience within the coming 10, 20 years? Oh, that's a really good question. So in the context of what I'm doing with Gazam is I would like to see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and possibly thousands of organizations taking on real challenges, having the courage to talk about me too, discrimination, racism, dealing with the real issues. That for me, because if companies are able to start to create that conversation openly, without people being afraid of being judged on either side of the spectrum or regardless of the knowledge level, then I think you can deal with almost anything. I want to see an honesty, a safety, communication in all these organizations, because that is the fastest way for us as Gozam, for me as a person, to move the needle on humanity in the world. And that is my, I, can, I, I never really said this, but act, this is the way that we want to change the world. It's like seriously up the game for organizations so they can have real conversations. But that takes courage, it takes guts. The stakeholders, the decision makers are going to go, yeah, we want to do this. Because if they don't want to do this, that company will not change. And we're talking companies, 20,000, 50,000 employees. So somebody somewhere really high up needs to have the guts to say, we are a part of this movement. It doesn't have to be Gozam. It could be through anything. I don't care as long as it happens. And I keep on lobbying the front. I have a lot of people in powerful places and I keep on lobbying them and saying, you got to change this. You got to do something. This is not good enough. And what do they typically say when you say that? Everybody wants to do it, but not everybody knows how to do it. Okay. We have been programmed. If you go to Harvard Business School, you're programmed a certain way. 
you get shaped a certain way. You get critical thinking classes. You, you, you learn how to think, but you still get molded in a certain way. So we're all molded in kind of, we all have molds we need to kind of break out of. So to create real change, somebody has got to break something or create some, do something unconventional, take a risk. And that goes against a business risk we're used to, but that, that, that vulnerability risk we're not used to. Brene Brown is great when she talks about vulnerability. I don't know if you listen to her work. Uh, there, are, there are people that say great things out there, but then to have it happen is a whole different story. If you would assume that you had, um, you know, all doors kind of open to you, and it sounds like you do have a lot of doors open to you, but still, if you imagined you have all that and all kinds of resources available, what would you immediately rush to change or innovate? be it within your world or somewhere else? Yeah, I, th I think wh where I see the biggest pain right now uh, in the world is among teens, high school youth, the ages where you go through this identity crisis of trying to figure out who you are. I think that may be because I went through that gigantic crisis myself with my paralysis. Um, but that's where I see a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain there I think is unnecessary. So in a way, I would love to help kind of support the school system to change, help the teachers somehow get better equipped with tools that would work because they see the pain as well. That's one. Uh, the other one is uh, through organizations. Also just making that great information available quickly to people. There are people there out there right now considering suicide. There are people out there that are immensely unhappy in their relationships. All these things can be dealt with if the right information gets to them or if the right help gets to them. And I, I think that's kind of part of our desperation as well to get it out there because there are people that really need help. And I'm just not talking about people that are considering suicide. I'm talking about people that are successful in their lives. They're doing great financially and they're doing great in every way, but there's something missing. What is it that people are missing? What is that missing piece that so many people uh, feel uh, they can't like put words on it? They can't explain it to anybody, not even to themselves. But, you know, if you would try to help them understand what it is, where would you kind of point them? I would point them to, uh, I do think that the answer is somehow in their connection to themselves. I think that if my, my wife has a really strong spiritual path and she's really the guiding light for Gozam and making sure that we're going in the right direction, we're moving mm -hmm. humanity in the right direction with the little power that we have. Uh, and I do think it's really getting into that connection with yourself. And you can call it spirituality. You can call it whatever you want. But that part where you actually understand who you are and how you operate in the world. Because when you do that, there's nothing that can move you. You're very firm on this planet. There's nothing really that can throw you off. And I think that is the key. But people don't have the cards and then we get too busy. I'm going to get this thing done. We've got to take the kids to school. We've got to do this for the company or get the job done. So we don't really allow ourselves to slow down. It's actually not even about slowing down. It's about like putting some focus on that and making it easy. And I'm in that struggle myself. I, I, I am looking for that path. I'm looking for that. Like I'm almost there, but I feel like I, you know, I've got a few more steps to take. But I do want people to feel that. I've tasted it. I've felt it. I know what it's like. And that's now what I'm striving towards. And I would like others to have that too. Beautiful. And um, what I'm thinking about now is this connection to, as you say, your inner self, especially if you maybe are also, I'm thinking of business leaders out there, if they have that strong connection to themselves and those that I've met that have that, they um, 
all point to the same thing is that when they feel that they understand that they are part of everything (laughs) so which means that they immediately understand that it's not only they have a responsibility to drive change in a certain way they have actually a huge piece of freedom yeah uh, because you don't only have an obligation you have a freedom to really do what you think is important not for yourself only but for the whole and when they discover that, then that's where I think they get a lot of uh, courage and, and real power. Yeah. And go do things that somebody would say, wow, you know, that's kind of how crazy. How can you imagine that that's even possible? And they go. It can have a huge impact. I think the key, though, is what I've discovered is that sometimes people discover that power. They have the freedom, but they have the power. But the power is kind of misguided. It's, hey, look at me. I'm successful. I'm powerful. I can move mountains. And then you have the power, the silent power. The real power, in my view, where people, the men and women out there who are leaders, true leaders, they just do good with it. They make people feel good. When I've been with some of the most successful people in the world and the people that are truly successful, they make me feel like I'm the most important person in the world for the time I'm with them. And that for me is when they have the freedom and power and use it well. Because then they really, people want to do great things with them, for them. And that's the key, as opposed to people that rule by power and success. And um, one piece of advice to leaders from you, what would that be? Look inside. Um, who are you? How do like look at how do people feel when they are around you? Especially people who work for you. And if they default to you just because of your power, then you're doing something wrong, in my view. If they look at you in awe because you make them feel good and learn and grow, it doesn't mean you have to always be nice. But just look at how people look at you who work with you. But that also goes for your family members, you know, the kids, your spouse, your partner. And dare to go there. And if you would go back maybe 15 or so years ago, uh, anything in particular that you would give as an advice to yourself? Uh, just like just trust yourself just trust yourself you know I you know I think it's normal to second guess yourself but I would just say hey trust yourself even more just go nuts I say it works out it works out if you have good intentions it all works out and that's kind of what I would say trust yourself Johan god damn it (laughs) (laughs) yeah this this uh, thing about um being good enough uh, kind of syndrome that is out there, right? And especially so, I think, uh, among women, even more so, uh, still, unfortunately. So I definitely feel uh, myself as well that sometimes I need to kind of remind myself that it is good enough what you're doing or that I am good enough what I'm doing, etc. But you really need to be aware because otherwise it's so easy to kind of slip into this kind of doubt that doesn't serve anything. Uh, I think it's very easy, especially as a woman. I think we still live in a very masculine world. And as a, as a, I believe that women often feel or do unconsciously, subconsciously, mm-hmm. slip into a very masculine energy. And it's only natural then to start doubting, like, oh, am I good enough? Am I, do I belong here? All those questions start arising. I'm still, and, and by the way, this is probably the most contested statement I will ever make. I still think, I really believe we live in a really unequal society. Um, People here in Sweden say that we're super equal. I don't believe that to be true. I just think we're really good at masking like our subconscious discrimination. 
Um, and, and this is controversial because the majority of my friends uh, don't agree. And many women don't agree. I think we have a long way to go to create a place where it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. I think we're decades away, unfortunately. And uh, what do you like base this, this feeling uh, regarding uh, Scandinavia, Sweden on? Uh, witnessing uh, certain things in boardrooms, behavior, uh, where things look really well, observing language, how people speak, those type of things. And it happens in the United States. It happens in Dubai, where I've been operating a lot as well. So it's not just here. It's just I happen to be here. So I happen to comment more about what I see here. Because COVID, I haven't really traveled on business anywhere else. So it's become very blatant mm. or very obvious. Yeah, we definitely need this kind of, um, let's call it female energy rather than uh, than women, <laughs> female energy into our kind of business system. And by the way, I fight with that myself. I find that I, I say things that uh, around my, my wife and my daughter that 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 are they don't feel is completely right. So this is not something that I'm better than anybody else. I, I call myself on it and I feel like, hey, I got lots of stuff to learn as well because I'm part of this mold that's been created as well. You know, the whole thing with business school and investment banking is very masculine. So I, I still think that we all have uh, a lot to explore together. So I'm not better than anybody else. So what do you think is um, the most important thing for companies to uh, focus on right, right now? The truth. Take a really good look and see how do your employees feel? Like how do they feel? Do, are they safe at work is the number one question. Uh, are you supporting them? Are you helping them to do their, their work? Are you allowing them to, to change their roles if they're not happy? Those type of things. But the truth, like what's going on? And that can be very unpopular with certain types of leadership, especially people that have been sitting on power for a long time. They really don't want to go there. So that's a, a pretty edgy stuff. And how do they find out what is the truth? Asking around, speaking to employees, being skillful yourself, and communicating, listening to what's going on. I'm not just listening to people, but looking at the organization, see what are the patterns, what's happening, and, and then addressing it, but honestly. And I find, I mean, my wife and I and our, uh, one of our companies, we've done a lot of work with large organizations and a lot of culture change. We even work with governments. And there's a lot of, a lot of times organizations address the problem with a bunch of workshops or by appointing coaches for certain employees or stakeholders or leaders. And then that's it. It's a nice contract, nice consultancy fee, and then it's over. But in order to create that change, they really need to look and they need to own what the problem is. So if the problem is to do with, if there has been something to do with sexual harassment in the company, address it, own it, say, we need to do better. Um, the company needs to take responsibility somehow for whatever it is and own it and put themselves out there. And because if they don't do that, nobody's going to care. Nobody will care. So, so you are, my final question to you is this one. Um, what do you think the world needs most at this very time? That's a great question. I think that the world needs you, every listener, you and I to start speaking up, sharing ideas, the courage, the things that we really think are important, that individual leadership. Elon Musk is a great example because you never know what he's going to say, but he's always got something to say. You don't have to like what he says, but what he does and who he is, he creates waves, he creates passion, he evokes stuff. And I think every person has that within them. 
So the world needs you not to be boring. Like, come on, spice it up, say things, take a little bit more risk, take charge, say things that you haven't dared to say. Like, seriously, just a little bit of courage is what the world needs from every single person. And that's going to go a long way. Mm. And it'd be a lot more fun and entertaining. Mm. Yeah. And, and also when you, as you say, combine that with, you know, the reason for, for whatever you're working for or fighting for exactly. I mean, sometimes a guy like Musk, I was thinking, you know, what is the reason? I mean, he seems to, you know, do good stuff and so on, but he or any other leader out there, if I know that they're working on, on a good agenda, I will follow I will listen and I will follow, right? But there mustn't be any sense of doubt around that. And I think that's probably what people are a bit insecure about, you know? Yeah. Which leader to follow? Are they really truthful and authentic? And are they really working for the good agenda for all? Or is there some kind of, you know, backstory that we're going to find out? Yeah, you never know. But nowadays, everybody's so careful about what they're saying. Uh, I love where we're going, by the way, with our culture and the sensitivity and the skill of communicating and being completely aware of your impact. So for people out there listening to this who think that this whole Me Too movement is exaggerated, I completely disagree. I don't think we've even started. So I think the skill of communicating and understanding the impact you have on people is hugely important and still underrated. But uh, making your attention clear and working on something that's good is necessary. Richard Branson is one of my old heroes, he's still true to himself. Mm. Elon Musk is a hero, even though I don't agree with everything he does, is still uh, an incredibly efficient communicator and who's doing incredible things. But you don't have to be a Branson or Musk to do this. You can do this with your corner store. You can do this in your family, at the dinner table. Like you can bring that energy in. And like now. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so, uh, Johan, how was it to be on this podcast? Oh, I loved it. Uh, I mean, I, I, I listened to many of, of the podcasts that you've done before, uh, and I think they're incredibly incredible people on there. So I'm, I'm very honored to have been asked to be on your podcast. And thanks to Johan Brumann for creating the introduction. Yeah. And uh, I think you're doing uh, amazing work, and, and thank you for bringing uh, these crazy ideas out of me today. <laughs> thank you, Johan. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing. And to find out more, uh, you will find links and show notes on corporateunplugged.com. And uh, remember to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with people you know would benefit from hearing you one. And please rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao. Ciao. Thank you. Thank you.